have your New Testament ready for use this evening. A lot of what I'm going to do at the very beginning will be from the book of Acts, and I'm going to introduce this sermon with a question. If you could pick any four people in the New Testament to be in this church, who would those four be? I'm going to ask you to think about that. Now, Christ is the head of the church. While his presence should be in our lives and his authority, our source of belief and teaching and practice, I'm asking about four people who could be members of this church from the pages of the New Testament. And I recognize this is hypothetical. But a question that contains some value as we consider those we might welcome into this group because of their character, their discipleship, their exhibiting of those traits that Christ would want to see in his people. So here are my four. Dorcas, Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside, knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. During her life as a Christian, before her death and Peter raising her, Tabitha or Dorcas may not have been well known by more than just a small handful of people. She didn't preach in assemblies. She was not known for any wealth, national status, academic attainment. Verse 36 says she was a disciple. Now that says what her life was about. That description has packed into it significant meaning about where her mind and her life was. She learned of Jesus. She embraced his teaching. She applied that teaching according to her ability. And the word disciple contains all of those good concepts. Concepts of obedience and devotion and consistency and, let me put it this way, doing what you can with what you have 
where you are. She wasn't the head of a fashion empire. As far as we know, she didn't have a huge market outside of Joppa. There is no direct evidence of any sales, profit, or exporting. She sowed. She was a disciple who sowed. And all that is said here about her ability and her use of that ability tells us she was not merely an admirer of Jesus, but a committed follower, a true disciple. It is not uncommon, and likely was not uncommon then, for people to grieve when a seamstress died. It might even go unnoticed. But Dorcas was a woman who did what she was able to do, where she was in time and place, with such generosity, her passing brought Christians to tears. And verse 36 describes her discipleship. She was full of good works and acts of charity. God raised her from the dead through Peter, and it became known throughout Joppa. There was a need then, and there will always be the need, for Christians to do what they're able to do with heartfelt goodwill and generosity, even if they're never, ever noticed. It is in this narrative part of the definition of discipleship. You do what you can to help others with whatever ability you have, though it may go unnoticed. Just doing what you can, what you're able to do, without being prompted or delegated or begged. She was full of good works and acts of charity. Simple, quiet service to God is no less important than widely known public service. Barnabas, I'm turning to Acts chapter 4. Barnabas, Acts 4, 32 to 37 will be the first reference. Barnabas was a Levite from Cyprus. His real name was Joseph, and he acquired a nickname that meant son of encouragement. He loved to encourage Christians. That's what he was good at. His name appears 23 times in the book of Acts and five times in Paul's epistles. And there is this account concerning the church in Jerusalem, Acts 4, 32 to 37. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, 
a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, verse 37, again. He sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And I think the implication is he gave all. In contrast to those described in the next paragraph, in chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, who didn't, but said they did. So Barnabas is already known as generous to the point of extraordinary sacrifice. And then we refer to another account about Barnabas in Acts chapter 11. Chapter 11 of the book of Acts, verses 22 through 24. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. That is, the preaching of the Lord Jesus in that area. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad... And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Barnabas, already known to be a devoted, sacrificial disciple of Christ. If we think it would be good to have people here like Barnabas, why don't we just be like Barnabas? In generosity and encouraging one another. We can't bring back Dorcas and Barnabas, but we can learn who they were, and what their contribution was to the Lord's cause. These are examples for us to imitate. I think Barnabas, if I can tie in my first two points here, I think Barnabas would encourage Dorcas, and Dorcas maybe might have made a garment for Barnabas. We need encouragers. Complainers are a dime a dozen. Cold, distant, disenchanted people are everywhere. We need people like Barnabas and Dorcas. Epaphroditus. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 verses 25 through 30. I have thought it necessary, this is Paul to the church at Philippi, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. I'll come back to verse 25 in a minute. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord 
with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. I like this brother, Epaphroditus. Not that well known, not mentioned many times. But look at how Paul describes him. Paul says, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your minister, uh, messenger and minister to my need. So he was a worker, warrior, messenger, minister. We'd take him here. We would take him here. But we can't raise the dead. We can follow the good examples of disciples of Christ like Dorcas and Barnabas and Epaphroditus. Paul said, receive him therefore in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. We'd take him here. To this man, his life was secondary to his service to the Lord and the Lord's people. He was devoted to the point, verse 30 says, he nearly died for the work of Christ. How do we compare to the depth of devotion, this zeal combined with active knowledge on the part of these people? And I'm sure we would welcome Paul. Let me bring to our attention three things I believe Paul would do for us. One, he would not hold back any part of the word of God. He would not hold back any part of the word of God. In Acts chapter 20, I'm going to start reading at verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul would do. You know, there may be some temptation that occurs to speakers and teachers and preachers to sort of size up an audience, try to determine what they want to hear, what would make them feel good, and deliver exactly that. Paul's interest was otherwise. What do people need that God has revealed? He didn't hold anything back that was profitable. Verse 27 says, he declared the whole counsel of God. Churches need preachers who will not hold anything back that is written in the word. Number two, Paul would tell us to work together. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, here's what Paul wrote. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, 
from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Are we listening to that phrase? Joined and held together. And are we listening to that phrase? Each part working properly. This is what Paul would say if he visited churches today. And then three, the Apostle Paul, in doing this work we've described, would give all the glory and praise to God. Not seeking attention or praise, he would just do whatever he could do, even if nobody was watching. He would get out of the way and stand back to let people see the cross. And he would say things like this that he wrote in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound unto you, that you, always having all sufficiency in everything, may abound unto every good work. Paul, Epaphroditus, Dorcas, Barnabas. But they are not here. And we cannot raise them and place them in this local church. But here's what we can do. We can serve each other like Dorcas in whatever way we can. We can encourage one another like Barnabas. We can risk our lives sacrificing for the cause of Christ. We can activate the zeal and loyalty to Christ seen in the Apostle Paul. We can learn from these good people of God who served Christ and served each other. We can emulate the qualities, embrace their zeal, and grow ourselves and grow this church. Let's be standing while we sing.